Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women, a podcast that empowers right-minded women. I'm Kelsey Bowler, and co-hosting with me today is Beverly Hallberg, president of District Media DC and a fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, where she's the host of the podcast, She Thinks. Highly encourage you all to go check it out. Beverly, thank you so much for joining me in studio today. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to spend time with another problematic woman. So thank you. Yeah, and you and I have been doing a lot of radio this week. We both guest hosted WMAL Mornings on the Mall in D.C. So hopefully we're ready for this. Well, the show airs from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. So you have to have a 415 meeting to start. So if we sound a little tired today, that's probably why. It's been quite But it's a worth week. it. Yes. Well, I think we'll have enough energy because we have some interesting stories to unpack, some more serious, some lighthearted. We'll be discussing Teen Vogue promoting prostitution to teenage girls. You heard that right. CNN calling First Lady Melania Trump a woman of mystery. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez admitting that Republicans were basically right about allegations against Bill Clinton and women saying they prefer dad bods over perfectly toned six packs. Finally, as always, we'll crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. Please consider supporting the show by leaving us a review or rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Now to the show. Should sex work be decriminalized in the United States? According to an op-ed in Teen Vogue titled Why Sex Work is Real Work, It Should Be. For the record, sex work isn't legal in some places, including South Africa, where the writer of this article is apparently from. She argues that physical sex isn't the only form of sex work. While, yes, it's a big part of it, it also includes companionship, intimacy, non-sexual role-playing, dancing, escorting, and stripping. The author emphasizes how paying for the service can be affirming for many people who need human connection, friendship, and emotional support. She herself is apparently a medical doctor and advises clients about their sex-related problems. She says this was the most baffling part. She says that as a doctor, she is basically doing the same thing thing as sex work. Beverly. Wow. What do we make of this? Um, There's a lot to unpack there. I think the last thing you said is what we should start with. And that is, I don't think anybody, whether you're libertarian and think that prostitution should be legalized or you're conservative and think that it should be illegal and the places that have it, that it should be made illegal, like in Amsterdam, where it's notoriously legal. I think we can all agree that sex work isn't the same thing as being a doctor. Is that common ground? I think we can find common ground. I on that. certainly can find common ground with you on that. And and in fact, I think that any doctor who thinks sex work is the same thing as being a doctor should probably have their medical license revoked. So in other words, if your doctor says that she's doing the same thing as sex work, you probably shouldn't go to that doctor. I couldn't help but think about Larry Nassar when I read that part of yeah. this piece. I mean, there's a very clear difference. And look, I'm not accusing her of anything, but to even suggest that there's a gray area between a doctor, even one who does counseling regarding intimacy and actual physical sex. There's a huge red line in the middle there. Beyond that, the biggest problem is that she's communicating these messages to Teen Vogue. This isn't just Vogue magazine where we're having an adult conversation about whether sex work should be legalized. She's talking about these issues 
to teenagers and on her views on the medical front, suggesting to teenagers that, oh, your doctor might be very similar to a sex worker. That's a very dangerous message. How does this even get past the editors at Teen Vogue? How is this even appropriate? Because this isn't an article just explaining what's taking place in countries where it is legal. Or often when we hear about um, things related to sex, it's usually um, how women are used for sex. And we used to look at this type of work as, as women often being used and abused in these situations. I think what's so disturbing is that we've gotten to this place, I think, of what um, people consider feminism, which which is it's to the point where people think, oh, it's great if you're a prostitute. Now, I don't think somebody who chooses to do that, and I think most women who choose to do that feel like they have no other outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, so they choose to do it. I don't think that's their first choice in what they want to do. I don't think those women should be berated if they choose to do that and it's legal in their country. But would any of us want any woman in our life, whether a sister, whether a daughter, would we want them to be a sex worker Obviously not. Even making this equation like this could be a good career choice for you. Like maybe you should consider it because it's the same as being a doctor. I think that's an extremely damaging message, especially to young women. Right. And I couldn't believe that this article, if you're going to take on such a serious topic, such as legalizing sex work in the United States, that you wouldn't address the downside. This was just an op-ed advocating all the arguments for it, not acknowledging or confronting any of the arguments against. We know from a 2014 study from Harvard Law that countries with legalized prostitution are associated with higher human trafficking inflows than in countries where prostitution is prohibited. Clearly, there are so many downsides to sex work. And, you know, this is scary because on one hand, I just want to laugh off this article like, haha, Teen Vogue, Nobody pays attention to them. Maybe conservatives freak out when we see an article like this. But actually, if you think about it, Teen Vogue is communicating to young girls as young as 13 in all different ways. It's not just whether or not your daughter picks up a magazine at the local drugstore. Teen Vogue is on Snapchat. They are on Instagram. They're promoting these stories all over the web. And as a parent, you might have no idea that your daughter is reading this type of content. And I think there's extremely conflicting messages that are out there. At the same time, we talk about the Me Too movement, and there have been a lot of articles about how men who work with women are now fearful to even interact with them because they don't want to be accused of sexual harassment in any form. And don't get me wrong, there's a reason why the Me Too movement started, because women have had harassment and have been abused before in these situations. But you take the Me Too movement, where you can almost ruin a man's life, Justice Kavanaugh, who we saw that whole fiasco, based on uncorroborated evidence and a lot of hearsay. But at the same time, we're this is an article that's saying, but go out and make money on sex. And so I think there's completely confusing messages for young people out there. And I do think when you look, take a look at music videos or what we see on Instagram and what celebrities post, a very over-sexualized culture. And I think you and I as, as adults, we can read through it and say, this is ridiculous or whatever. Here's where I fall on this. But I can't imagine being a young woman in this environment and trying to figure out what's right and wrong and where you fit in it all. Absolutely. And rarely are you exposed to the conservative perspective or even conservative women when it comes to something as 
simple as their fashion. We know Melania Trump has constantly been ignored by every major magazine. But I was actually surprised to see last Friday on CNN, they aired an hour-long special where they did a documentary on Melania Trump, giving her some attention that I think she deserves. But of course, the piece had this huge political undertone. It was called Woman of Mystery, Melania. Here's a clip. Ladies and gentlemen, the First Lady of the United States, Mrs. Melania Trump. She's the most unusual First Lady in modern history. She's very reclusive. Melania Trump is never beholden to the Washington ways of broadcasting everything you're thinking and doing. There are persistent rumors that Mrs. Trump does not live in this White House. She's forging her own path. The president warned her that people are going to attack you about this. Flying under the radar. Still no sighting of the elusive first lady. Setting her own trends. Everybody has a different taste. The jacket. The jacket. This jacket. I don't think she can shake it. Do you? (laughs) Not to mention coping with the intense scrutiny of her marriage. I get the feeling that she cares less about what people think than any of her predecessors. Unusual, reclusive, mysterious. Beverly, do you think these are accurate and fair ways to describe our First Lady? Well, without the addition of positive words, I think it's an unfair opinion of her. Now, I don't think mysterious is always taken as something negative, but every word that they use to describe her in this shows that it's shrouded in some type of secrecy. She's elusive. She's a recluse, which, by the way, I see her all the time. So I'm not sure how that actually factors in. And I think people have thought in the past that some First Ladies were not elected and were taking too much of a role. Hillary Clinton is a perfect example of this, who used her time as a first lady as a way for her to work on health care policy reform. Um, she wanted to change health care and being first lady. So I think, first of all, Melania gets a bad rap all the way around. You could easily take a look as a comparison to Michelle Obama and see the difference in how the media fawned all over uh, Michelle does. Obama. Still, they still do. And I don't have a problem with Um, Michelle Obama, as far Mm -hmm. as if you want to praise her workouts and her wardrobe, and she's a good speaker, disagree with her on policies, but I I think that's fair. It's just that you don't see it for the other side, and that's the problem, is that we don't see the same treatment. And unfortunately, Melania Trump, due to no decision of her own, is the one bearing the brunt of their hate for her husband in this way. Yeah, and I think there's there's something to be said for this 24-7 instantaneous world we live in where we've come to expect 24-7 access to people's lives, especially celebrities. I don't think the amount that we've seen Melania Trump in public is any different from any other first lady. If anything, it could be more for all we know. She makes plenty of public appearances and she does a wonderful job on that front, being an ambassador um, to the United States when she is abroad, advocating for the opioid crisis in this country, advocating for her anti-bullying campaign for children. She's fulfilling every role that any first lady should. First, I think there's a problem with expectations that we expect to see her just because we like seeing her as much as the liberal media pretends they don't and they ignore her. 
everybody loves seeing Melania Trump in action. I always want to see what she's going to wear. And even though she doesn't get the credit she deserves, let's be honest, every person out there, even if they don't like her husband, loves to see her wardrobe. I thought she completely killed it when she was in the UK. I loved her navy white suit when they met with the queen. That was beautiful. Do you buy into these conspiracy theories about her fashion and how they're always sending subtle messages to the media? I mean, one of them wasn't so subtle, the I really don't care jacket. That was a pretty obvious message. But it does bother me when the media goes down this rabbit hole, you know, when they do talk about her. She wore white to President Trump's State of the Union speech as a sign that, you know, she was against him or she was standing with Democrats. And we don't know the answers to these things unless we actually asked Melania and she has not gone on the record and telling us that they mean anything. We also know she's willing to be independent and push back on her husband when she wants to. The LeBron James tweet recently where she clearly didn't like uh, the president's jab about LeBron James. So, you know, I think we should just be focusing more on what Melania Trump does and what she says rather than reading into these conspiracy theories about her fashion and her marriage, which are particularly unfair. The one outfit that I had an issue with, you already made mention of it, the jacket, which I thought was an extremely poor taste because of the message that was on the back of the jacket when she went to visit the border. So it seemed like a pointed message. I don't know the story behind it, but I think that was rightly criticized. Every other time, I think she's completely appropriate and really has set the standard extremely high in what she wears. To think that so many designers won't even design clothing for her when they were tripping over themselves to design to Michelle for Michelle Obama, I think is evidence of that. She was treated so poorly when she decorated the White House for Christmas. There was so much mocking in reference to that. I personally think one of the reasons why she's isn't as out there as much as people would want her to, although I think it's completely sufficient, is she has a young a younger son still that she's raising. When the president did come to the White House after inauguration, she waited into in New York until that school year was over. I don't think she really likes all the media hoopla. I don't think that's what she's about. Her husband loves it. He loves the media. It's not her thing. And I think her just showing up and doing her thing the way she wants to do is the best way to handle it. And let's be honest, the media are, are going to continually treat her unfairly, or at least um, we can see the double standard in relation to Michelle Obama. Right. She is a woman who values her privacy. And as a mother who is in the difficult situation of raising a son in the public eye, we should give her all the respect in the world for that. You know, we shouldn't be calling it mysterious with this negative undertone because of the fact that she does want to keep certain aspects of her life in private out of the public eye. Well, up next, we're going to be talking about AOC's latest comments about Bill Clinton's sexual misconduct. We'll be back. Don't go far. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? I'm Rob Bluey, editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, and I'm inviting you to share your thoughts with us. Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com. Yours could be featured on the Daily Signal podcast. New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is making headlines multiple times this week for multiple reasons. First, we're going to talk about comments she made regarding Bill Clinton's sexual misconduct allegations. The freshman representative said Democrats probably made a mistake by giving Clinton a pass. Here's a clip. Do you think Democrats in hindsight made a mistake by giving Bill Clinton a pass all those years over 
his treatment of women? Probably. You know, I think that. Beverly, but again, is this just... basically AOC admitting that Republicans were right? Well, for someone who is very outspoken and not shy about her opinions, for her to only use the word probably um, doesn't lead me to believe that she was making a strong endorsement of the claims that so many have made against the Clintons all along. However, I think it shows that the tide is shifting, that the weight that the Clintons used to hold in the Democrat Party is fading. Um the younger ones are going to be taking over and they're not beholden to the Clintons like they once were. So I think we're going to have a lot more people speak out on this. And I also think what the history books are going to write about Bill Clinton is changing quite dramatically. Absolutely. And and then she touched on former Vice President Joe Biden um, and, and the fight there with Anita Hill. You know, she suggests that she doesn't see the issue as a partisan one. But look back to just what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. We all remember that. That was certainly partisan. And I think a lot of people would argue that what happened with Anita Hill, unfortunately, was partisan as well. Absolutely. And and this is the thing that I think it's so many of us riled up who are on the right about this, is that obviously when we see that there is mistreatment of, of, of a woman, I think Anita Hill, I'm not going to say made up, but I think there is reason to believe based on evidence that Clarence Thomas was innocent of that. But what we often see is that, oh, if the Democrat does it, we're just going to kind of brush it under the rug. So let's not forget that Joe Biden also has a tendency of rubbing women's shoulders. <laughs> There are some Me Too moments in that. He seemed to have weathered it. I'm not saying he's actually ever sexually abused or overtly harassed a woman. But if a Republican did that, that would be treated very differently. So it's a very, very partisan issue. Right. And she certainly wouldn't be using adjectives like probably to describe it. No. And she had some pretty forceful comments this week. I want to turn a little bit to what she said, which is making big news this week about what's going on on the border and use the analogy that I actually recommend people never use. And that is making the analogy to what happened in the Holocaust, basically saying, I think it was through an Instagram live video Mm -hmm. that she posted sitting in her apartment, which Apparently, she has a hard time affording, which is why she thinks she needs needs a pay raise. raise. (laughs) She needs a raise. But that what we're basically doing to people at the border when they are detained, that that is the same thing as we did in the Holocaust. Now, Liz Cheney, who's a representative, took issue with this. I was glad that she spoke up and she said to AOC via Twitter that you need to spend just a few minutes learning some actual history. Six million Jews were exterminated in the Holocaust. And the response to this made me laugh out loud. And what you saw the response on Twitter to Liz Cheney from AOC, she said, the fact that you employed the horrifying word exterminated here, co-opting the language of the oppressor tells us that you need to brush up on your reading. So take that, Liz Cheney. What frustrated me was that this was clearly, as you said, AOC drawing a comparison to what's happening at the border to the Holocaust. She went as far as to use the phrase never again. And then she, you know, a couple hours later claimed that she wasn't talking about the Holocaust and is now on a mission to educate us all on how all these, you know, concentration camps happened in all different places and trying to, you know, prove her point, which would be a stretch, even if she didn't use that phrase never again, but she did use that phrase. So I think it's really dishonest of her to be doing this. And and it basically shows instead of just like saying, okay, maybe, maybe I didn't need to say that she doubles down. 
Yeah, she doubles down. She doesn't apologize. I don't know if I've ever heard her apologize. I'd have to go back and listen to her hours of video that she's recorded of herself. But something to consider with this, I think it's twofold. First of all, one of the reasons why people do have to be detained at the border is because there's more and more reports about the diseases and illnesses that could come into the United States if we didn't have health officials looking into them. Um, Because of the Flores ruling, they can only be held for a certain amount of time before they're released. And let's not forget, these people came here and they can always go back. Nobody's being held. And I think it does a huge disservice to border agents and what ICE is doing on the border when they are not only trying to do their job, which is to protect the borders of this country, but also treat people humanely who have risked their lives to come here. So I think all around it does a disservice to the 75th anniversary of D-Day and what those men and women did to put their lives on the line. And then it does a disservice to the situation going on on the border. And by the way, you're in Congress and you can pass legislation. Why don't you put your efforts into passing legislation if this is such a problem? And it is. I agree with her that we have a problem at the border, but you can actually try to do something about it. That's what's that's what frustrates me, too. And actually, The Washington Post and CNN, um, mainstream news organizations all reported this week um, that there is an increasing fear of mumps outbreak and chicken pox exposure in these overcrowded immigrant facilities. And nobody has told us more times than President Trump and his, his administration that this is a humanitarian crisis, that we do not have the facilities or the funding or the infrastructure to deal with the influx of illegal immigrants. And so, yes, you know, the president is doing everything he can, some would argue too much, um, to to deal with this crisis. And it really is up to Congress to deal with it. And then it's frustrating when you just see Democrats such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez complain about it instead of taking responsibility and saying, I don't like what I'm seeing down there in these facilities. So I'm going to go walk across the hall and meet with my Republican colleagues to try to come up with a solution. She has a huge platform, and I wish she would use it in that way, because I think it's a shame that Republican Democrats can't find some solutions to this because there's a lot we can't agree on. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was a pretty serious topic, and it's time to move (laughs) on to something a little more lighthearted. It is summer. (laughs) Summer is officially underway, which means summer bodies are now in season. Or are they? A recent survey from Planet Fitness reveals that women favor the dad bod over rock-hard abs. Now, for our listeners who don't know what a dad bod is, which I assume most of you do, Planet Fitness describes it as the male physique that falls somewhere in between buff and Pillsbury Doughboy. (laughs) Interestingly enough, according to the survey, seven out of 10 women say an extra 20 pounds or so are attractive. Are you a fan of the dad bod? Well, my dog has a dad bod, and I often talk about that, and I happen to think he's very handsome. He's a very handsome bulldog. But I call this whole story, I'm going to call it bluff, because here's the reason why. Number one, this is a survey by Planet Fitness. So for those who have never been to a Planet Fitness, I actually haven't, but I've read enough stories. This is the gym where they give you free pizza. So I think that Planet Fitness has a vested interest in this being 
this story so that people feel comfortable going to their gym and paying their membership. So I don't trust Planet Fitness. It also doesn't say if it was men and women who were asked this, because I think men would have a vested interest in saying that dad bods are, are more attractive. But I will say as a whole, I have no problem with a guy with a dad bod. I can find a guy attractive. I just think it's a stretch to say that women are going to prefer that over rock hard apps. Right. And I can't help but wonder, would men feel the same way about a mom bod? Is there yeah. such thing? I don't know. I like, think, why are dad yeah. bods like this thing? Like, it's cool to like. It's, cool. it's like hipster. a dad bod. It's like the hipster body now. You can but be a, a mom dad. bod. It's like Ew. women feel shame yeah. for that. But do women do that to each other more than men do? Yes, I would say. So. I think I think women shame each other more. But I, I think there is something attractive for women about you know loving their baby daddy's yeah. body. Yeah, like there's nothing more attractive than your you know the father of your children. And so maybe if it's phrased like that, you know, maybe it's not so much about the physical. There actually have been studies that say women care less than men about the physical appearance. I agree with that. Of their partner than men. So we actually have an upper hand on that. I don't know why. I think we're, well, call me crazy. I think men and women are biologically different. (laughs) And so there are different things that speak to us. And I think women in general, it's if we feel supported and taken care of and loved and all those things then we're happy. Um, obviously, there's initial attraction you have to have with someone. But I think for women, there's so much of that wrapped up in, I think, just the safety and the trust in someone that they're with. Right. Well, I'm proud to be a woman who embraces men, whether or not they have a dad bod or, you know, a six pack abs. You know, sometimes I actually think when you see men who are too fit. it's I don't like too many muscles. It's yeah. too much. You're like, you care. Why do you care so much about your physical yeah. appearance? Because, you know, that doesn't come naturally. Um, men have to work very hard to have a six pack. Yeah. And, you know, I, wa- I don't want someone who prioritizes spending three hours in the gym a day. And if they look in the mirror more than you do, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit off putting. Yeah. yeah. So I guess this kind of makes sense. Yeah. I, I get where it's coming from. I just question the survey in general. Agreed. <laughs> We're going to take a short break and be right back with a special interview with our problematic woman of the week. But first, Beverly, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Problematic Women today. We absolutely need to have you back. Where can everybody go to follow your work? Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you can, of course, visit District Media Group on our website, but you can follow me at Bev Hallberg um, on Twitter. And also, don't forget, She Thinks uh, podcast. We have a new one that's coming out on Friday that is with Christina Hoff Summers, who's amazing. And she's going to talk to us a lot about feminism gone awry. So if you're interested in that, I know you get a lot of that here on this podcast, but she's going to be talking to us about a lot of the policy implications surrounding that. Awesome. Well, thank you. And we will be right back. Looking for a short morning podcast to give you the news of the day without liberal bias? The Daily Signal podcast is a rundown of the top stories you need to know that the mainstream media is probably ignoring. This week's problematic woman of the week is Selena Soul. Some of you might remember her name from a documentary I produced for The Daily Signal detailing her story of being forced to sit on the sidelines of a major track tournament because two transgender runners who were born male but identify as female landed the number one in two spots. Selena, a high school student from Glastonbury, Connecticut, is joining me in studio today with Christina Holcomb, an attorney for Alliance Defending Freedom. Selena and Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. Let's start with you, Selena. For those who didn't see our video, 
and aren't familiar with your story, can you recap what happened? So in the indoor season at the State Open Championship, I came in eighth place in the 55-meter dash, and the top seven qualify for the finals of the 55-meter dash, and the top six qualify for the regional New England meet. And I came in eighth place overall, but I would have been sixth place because there were the first two spots are taken by two transgender athletes. And just to clarify, you are a rising senior. Yes. From Glastonbury, Connecticut. Yes. Okay. We're going to get more into the backstory of how this happened. Not only did you fight back by speaking up about your ordeal, which I'm going to get to more later, but there's been a big development in your case. This week, lawyers on your behalf actually filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education. Christina, can you tell us more about the step and why you decided to take it on Selena's behalf? Sure, absolutely. So girls like Selena deserve a level playing field in athletics, right? We know Title IX was designed to ensure that women were free of sex discrimination in education and secondly, in athletics, so that they could have the opportunity to compete, to move to the next level, to um, compete for scholarships and potentially even launch their own athletic careers. But what the Athletic Association in Connecticut has done by allowing biological males to compete on Selena's female track uh, tournaments is actually completely undermined and violated Title IX. So Alliance Defending Freedom on behalf of Selena and two other very courageous female athletes has filed a Title IX complaint with the Department of Education. So what that basically means is we've asked the department to investigate and ultimately to restore fairness to women's sports. And explain the laws, regulations, or just policies at the state or even athletic level in this case that are enabling biological boys to be competing as girls in high school sports. Sure. So I'm happy to jump in here. So the Connecticut, uh, it's basically the statewide athletic association in the state of Connecticut, decided that biological males who identify as female may now, with no other um, yeah, transition or hormone or any, any standards whatsoever, quite frankly, may now compete with the biological girls if they, if they choose to do so. And we're aware of at least two boys who are now not just competing against the girls, but absolutely dominating female track and field events in Connecticut. And Selena, this is a big step for you. As if speaking out in front of millions of people weren't hard enough, Now you're actually filing a complaint before the U.S. Department of Education. Why did you decide to take this step? I think that it's important for fairness to be returned to not just track and field, but all female sports. And we've tried to talk to the Connecticut Athletic Association, and we've tried to talk to my school's officials, and no one wants to hear us. And I think that this was the best way to get our voice out there and try to find a solution. It's crazy to me that you say nobody wants to hear you because the reaction to the seven-minute documentary that we published on your story at The Daily Signal has been incredible. It has 2.65 million views on YouTube and 3.8 million views on Facebook, and every day those numbers are still climbing. That is our highest performing video we've ever published in the five years The Daily Signal has existed. Were you surprised by this reaction, how it went viral, 
or did that scare you a bit? I was I'm certainly surprised by it even to this day because I thought that it would be gaining a lot of attention for maybe a couple of weeks after it was just released. But even now to this day, there's still people watching it and there's still more comments being posted and I'm having kids from other schools and other states that track me. It's coming up to me and thanking me for this. I'm having hundreds and hundreds of people reaching out to me on social media thanking me for speaking out. So I'm all I'm a little overwhelmed by it, to be quite honest. Wow. And has there been backlash mixed in with that? I've gotten some backlash, but I don't pay too much attention to it. The amount of hatred that I've gotten has been so minuscule compared to all of the love and support. So for me, I'm focusing on that and focusing on trying to bring back fairness to my sport. The comments are overwhelmingly positive when you read through them on Facebook or YouTube. I wanted to read you a couple and get your reaction. This girl is risking her entire future by speaking out in this manner. I hope you all can appreciate that. Good job on this high school student displaying true bravery in a world that would crucify people for voicing opinions. I agree with her 100% and I'm trans. Not all trans people are so radically left about gender and this stuff. This is so sad. I don't think people should be afraid of speaking up. Facts are facts. Biological males will be able to compete at a higher level than biological females. That's just biology. Were you surprised by any of this feedback? And to some extent, yes. Um, I know that not all transgender people have the same viewpoints as the rest and the far left. Um, but some, I, I know because I have some transgender athletes in my school, they are transgender males, and they also don't agree that this is fair. And it's coming down to common sense and realizing that men are physically superior to women, and that's just science. That's It's, it's not subjective. It's subjective. And you weren't the only athlete that I interviewed when I visited you in, in my home state of Connecticut, interviewed a handful of other girls, um, but I talked to them off the record. Um, I got their voices on audio, but they did not want to show their faces. And when we published their voices, we actually had to alter them to protect their identities. We didn't use their names. We didn't use any identifiable characteristics Understandably, they were concerned about being labeled a bigot and uh, facing backlash. Have you heard, without using their names, have you heard from any of them um, their reaction to how this video has gone viral? I don't think anyone was expecting it to become this popular and to, to really go viral. We all knew that it would probably be spread along the track community, not only in Connecticut, but maybe across the U.S., but none, I don't think any of us expected it to get this much attention and still continuing to. And Christina, what do you think it says that so many Americans who probably could care less about track are watching this and sharing feedback and, and sharing the video and having such a strong reaction to it? 
Yeah, I think it means that the unfairness of what's happening to Selena and these other girls in Connecticut is just really clear, right? There's not a whole lot of room for debate. Every boy who is standing on the podium or meddling in a women's sporting event is one fewer girl that is meddling or standing on that podium. And I think Americans of all shapes, sizes, affiliations, and so forth get the the basic unfairness of that. Yeah, and I can't help but think after reading through the comments that so many people are just relieved and refreshed that a young girl like yourself is willing to speak honestly about the situation and share how it's impacting you. Um, because, unfortunately, there's so much intolerance surrounding this issue. Um, so I, I think that they really do value your voice in this conversation. This conversation is also about legislation that Congress is considering the Equality Act. Christina, can you break that down? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So the Equality Act is a piece of legislation, as you mentioned, introduced into Congress, passed by the House, but is still pending in the Senate, thankfully. But what it would do is essentially impose a gender identity law across the entire country. So the particular policy that is that Selena is fighting in the state of Connecticut that's allowing biological males to compete in sports designed specifically for women that would become the law of the land in all 50 states at every level, um, city, state, and federal, which, frankly, I think is a really scary proposition. And I think it has massive, massive ramifications, particularly for young women like Selena. And Selena, you've spoken out against this legislation. Um, why, why are you taking it there, the conversation there? I'm taking it to that point because I know once this law is passed or if it is passed, that it'll completely destroy women's sports and women will be on the sidelines watching their own events because no matter how hard we try and how much effort we put in in the gym and the track, on the court, on the field, wherever, we will never be able to be competitive with a man. It's not possible. So I don't know if you heard, but there's a newly released music video by Taylor Swift reiterating her call for the Senate to pass the Equality Act. Um, again, the Equality Act could enable biological boys who identify as girls to compete in as girls in sports across the country. Taylor Swift, of course, has not acknowledged that mm-hmm. part of the conversation. She's brushed over it. But in her new song... Taylor is effectively telling those like you, Selena, who oppose the Equality Act, quote, you need to calm down, unquote. Have you heard this song? And how does that make you feel? I have not heard this song. And I'm upset by that because my I only have an issue with it for athletics. For everyday life, it doesn't matter. And I fully support anyone who wants to identify as whatever they are. To me, it doesn't matter. And in everyday life, a man and a woman are going to do an office job the same and learn in a classroom the exact same. But athletics have always had separate rules because of great physical differences between a man and a woman. You are a junior. Well, you just finished your junior year. Um, this is an important time for you as someone who wants to compete in track in college. How How is this affecting those dreams? It can greatly impact my future Because when the college coaches are looking at the results from these meets online, there's no indication that these athletes are transgender 
there's they're either listed under the boys category or the girls category. So unless they've somehow heard about this story or they typed the these athletes' names into Google, then they would have no idea that they are transgender. And with the current CAC or the current excuse me NCAA policy, transgender athletes cannot compete until they have completed hormone therapy. There's a certain regulation and policy for that, and um, the coaches wouldn't be able to recruit them yet until they have completed that. So I haven't directly had any effects from this yet, but it certainly could have an impact. And for the record, we very intentionally did not use the names of the two transgender student athletes. They have been public. They have participated in their own interviews in the media. But we felt it was incredibly important to let your story be told and um, let the focus be on you um, because the mainstream media and, and the liberal media does a pretty good job of sharing how they feel. But you really were one of the first voices um, to really be heard um, from the other perspective. And, and clearly a lot of people identify with that. Christina, I want to know regarding the complaint you filed, what are the next steps? How long is this process going to take? What can we expect? Yeah, all great questions. So next step is we, the Department of Education should open an investigation that will happen very quietly behind the scenes. Um, so it'll be investigating the, the policy, the athletic policy that's in place, allowing transgender athletes to compete in female sports. And we're just optimistic that ultimately they will come back and say, Mm, clear Title IX violation and really remedy the wrong. What we want is for a level playing field for Selena and her fellow female athletes to be able to compete against fellow biological girls and really, um, yeah, have a chance to be recruited and earn those college scholarships. And Selena, as we wrap up this interview, I can't help but ask you this question. I don't know if this is something you have thought through much at your age, um, but it's a question we love asking um, women who come in because there are a range of different answers and none of them are wrong. Do you identify as a feminist? I don't really know how to answer to that. Um, I haven't dove too deep into that, but I believe that women should be equal to men and there shouldn't be a wage gap and there should be paid maternity leave and that women should have an equal opportunity in athletics and in other areas, but I don't know if I would label myself as a feminist at this point in time, maybe in the future, but I'm not sure. Would you go so far as to label yourself a problematic woman? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been very problematic. Well, Selena and Christina, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. Thanks for having Thank you for us. having us. That's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of the show. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week. This podcast was created by The Daily Signal, produced by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans. 
edited by Michael Gooden and Thalia Rampersad. Special thanks to The Daily Signal's editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce problematic women in remembrance of our friend, Bree Payton.